The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview And acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Good morning. This is Truth Time, and I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to be looking at First Thessalonians this morning in the Christ Factor. So we've been talking, uh, we've been alternating between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, we are finishing up the book of First Thessalonians. All right, uh, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Pastor Monty. Apparently, people are having a hard time hearing you. That's what I'm being told by producer Jasmine. Hmm. So you're not hearing me at all? I hear you just fine. I know, but we're not getting it to the... Did you check the actual inputs on the... How about now? Yeah. We got it? We got it. Okay. We got sound. All right. Sounds like we're good. Crisis avoided. We have, we have uh, dealt with technical difficulties. All right. So we are in, uh, I was saying, <laughs> well, I was saying good morning. Uh, this is Truth Time. I'm Pastor Monty, and we're in the Christ Factor, where we're talking about uh, First Thessalonians. And we're going to look at uh, finishing up First Thessalonians this morning, and then a uh, week after next, we will go into Second uh, Thessalonians. But let me read for you. Um, we finished up uh, chapter. Well, we were in uh, the last chapter of First uh, uh, Thessalonians, chapter chapter five, where it was talking about uh, the end times. And now we are um, going into um, we are going into uh, the end of that chapter. So let me just let me just read from you because here the Apostle Paul changes a little bit his uh, his tone. So he was talking about the end times. Now he's giving uh, admonishment to the church in regard to um, how it is that they should live uh, with one another. And so uh, let me read for you, uh, starting with um, verse 12. And it says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work, for they work hard amongst you and uh, warn you against all that is wrong. Think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work, and remember to live peaceably with each other. So let's uh, stop there for a second. This is a basically little sections, and so we'll just uh, take that for a second and look at that. And um, that, it's, it's a very simple concept. 
the uh, the uh, the admonishment is those that are in uh, positions where they are working uh, for the church and for the benefit of the church, they are to uh, um, be thought highly of, and they are to uh, receive from the body uh, an understanding of the work that they're doing, and uh, they are to give in love in that. Note here that it says uh, that they are to be given honor. Sorry, Pastor, so the idea, Pastor I, I know in our culture, honor is a difficult thing for a lot of people, but it says specifically in Scripture that we are to place those who are uh, working for the Lord's work uh, in a place, uh, in a position of honor. Hey, Pastor Monty, we, we were having technical difficulties just then. Can you, uh, I'm, I'm trying to plug back in here. Can you, uh, what Scripture am I posting? We are looking at First Thessalonians chapter five verse twelve. Okay, cool. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, it's kind of for those of you who don't know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you are essentially working in two different studios. The one that you know where Pastor Monty is in his living room, and then here, and then trying to put it all together and make it go out. So, um, yeah, bear with us. But First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. Chapter 5, verse 12. Got it. Thank you. So, um, so did, did, uh, were people able to hear what I had stated in regard to what the scripture says and, and, uh, what I explained? Um, yeah, for the most part, you were having some audio difficulties and I'm not really sure what is going on. Um, but, uh, I think, well, I, me... think I think people can hear you fine and, yeah, I think you may have cut out for like a second or two. Okay, well, let me just uh, summarize what these two passages say. The bottom line is, is that those who are uh, working in the church, those that are working for the Lord, are to be given honor. Mm -hmm. And that as a body, we are to love those and uh, those individuals and we are to uh, put them in a place. Uh, the, the concept of honor, uh, difficult for many in our society, uh, particularly millennials, but, but the, the concept is, is that we're going to put the elevate, uh, understanding uh, the work that they do, we're going to elevate that position and give it uh, respect, essentially. Mm, okay, yes. Um, sorry, but just back into house cleaning notes. Uh, John Parker asks... Truth time taking some time off week after next. Did you say something about that? No. Oh. What I said is week after next, we're going to go into Second Thessalonians. Oh, okay. So there you go. No, it sounds like we're we're still we're still golden. Oh, maybe he's talking about end of June, perhaps. Um, the. Uh, yeah, but uh, I know he's anxious to get us off uh, the air. For our <laughs> for our times, but uh, no, June is still about, uh, what, five, six weeks away. Something like that. And what he might be referring to, for those of you who don't know, is that uh, season three is almost done. We'll be ending in June. Um, and then, you know, Pastor Monty's going to take some much-deserved time off before we come back for season four. So um, so maybe that's what he's talking about. But uh, Yeah, could be. Yeah, could anyway. Be. We'll let you continue. Okay. So leadership uh, should be... So we, don't, we yeah. don't want to toot our own horn, but uh, Josh, you want to add anything to this? <laughs> um, just that um, a, lot of, a lot of people don't really understand, and that includes leaders for the record, a lot of people don't really understand the burden that is placed on leadership and why honor should be given to leaders um, within within the body, and it, and it is an incredible burden. I was heartened to talk to our local one cop representative here in the um, PDX, you know, southeast area, and he was just talking about how there's a real similarity. He was talking about unsolicited how he has a lot of respect because there's a real similarity to the way that he does his his job. Um, and what we do as pastors, although he was saying that, 
the difference is, is that not only is he, um, not only can he leave his job behind when he clocks off, but that he, it's dangerous for him not to, and he's told to leave his job behind. So when he, you know, puts somebody away or when he investigates something, he's not allowed to get into the emotional component of it because he's not dealing with the whole person. He's only dealing with them as to how they pertain to the law. And, and as, as I was on a ride along, there's this woman who is in distress and he was talking, he was trying to sort of navigate that situation. And he, he was interested in, he was interested in the psychology of her situation, but he couldn't get involved with that because aftercare wasn't his thing. Um, right. Like that's not his, his position. And, so what, what I want to say about that is the responsibility of a shepherd as commissioned by Christ and affirmed by the church is that not only do they need to be involved in the management of the body in terms of its, um, its function, but they also have a holistic responsibility to, to the aftercare of a function. And so, you know, after crises, there's still the setting up of a person's life, the checking in with them, the maintaining with them, the 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 struggling with them and so it's it's really um a never-ending sort of soldiering for a person's um inner man um that has outward you know application uh it is i i think paul in another passage calls it something to be desired but um i you know it's it it's not uh, <laughs> As much as it's something to be desired because it's a place of honor, it's not something that I would wish on my worst enemy um, because of the amount of burden that it comes attached with when when you're doing your when you're when you're when you're in your call correctly and fully, um, you know it it is a hurting it it hurts to be involved in it. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I th and so what happens is, is you know, most people when they work, you know, they're 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 tasked with accomplishing, uh, uh, you know, a single task. They're they're not to be simplistic. A lot of people work in complex jobs where they do several things, but they know what that task is within that. Um, what as a pastor, what happens is that uh, number one is twenty four seven. So you've always got things going on. So you've got a multitude of, you've got, as you're talking about, Josh, where you're talking about pastoring and ministering to the needs of your body and and being able to assess and understand where people are at as they're trying to move through life and to grow in the Lord and, and all of those things. So you, you can't just compartmentalize and shut that off. But aside from that, you also have the administrative aspects of what needs to take place. You have to make sure that all those administrative tasks are done, whether you have uh, other deacons or uh, other elders or you have the, uh, or deacons uh, helping uh, to do those types of things. Uh, when you're in leadership, those things are still your responsibility and you have to have an awareness. And then you also have the burden, uh, and we divide it up a little bit at, at ABF in that you have, uh, you know, you have your elders uh, taking turns in the preaching material, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, a lot of people uh, they don't they don't realize the work that goes in to be able to deliver. Uh, in our case, <laughs> a thirty to forty minute message. Most 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 pastors try to limit their message to you know, to uh, twenty twenty five minutes, but. I believe but, uh, I was told. Average... I believe I was told the time is sixteen minutes. <laughs> that's that's how long. I mean, it might be seventeen, but that's how long an audience. Uh, that's how long it is that you don't lose the young people and the old people don't fall asleep. I think it was something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. It's uh, 16, 16 to twenty minutes maximum length. We typically go thirty to forty minutes, and when Josh is on a roll, uh, possibly. Uh, 50 minutes to an hour. Nonetheless, More like point, an hour and a half. <laughs> my point is, well, you know, you try to preach in the tradition of of uh, the Apostle Paul where people are falling off of ledges. Yeah, that's right. They fall 
They fall down yeah. dead, and then you resurrect them and preach then some you more. You raise them up. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so um, people don't realize how much effort uh, and work goes into developing uh, that message. Now, if you are doing a series, what, which our uh, elders uh, do it in a series because it's a little bit, for continuity's sake, easier for them, that means that you have to be constantly thinking not only of what's becoming present, but you have to think ahead and be developing that uh, sometimes three and four weeks out. It is a monumental task just within itself. Well, I think that one of the misconceptions about a pastor is that they're, the prime expression of their worship is, um, you know, the prime expression of their job, of their worship, is to preach. Um, but that's not really true. The, the responsibility of a pastor is service. Um, and so it's, you know, it's not just preaching and teaching um, in the from from a lecture stand, but you know it's preaching and teaching from a discipleship stand, um, where right. you're constantly in relationship with people, and you're not showing them from the lecture, but you're showing them from your actions and your attitude in everyday life. And you know, I, I mentioned the the one cop program. Um, but in actuality, I think that we are more akin to, in terms of social servants, to um, firemen, where you are, um, where people may think that the, the firemen, you know, they just put out fires. Um, you know, whenever there's a problem, you go to your pastor. Uh, but that's not true. The firemen are, A, they're 24-7 when they're on, so they even live at the fire station. But B, they're constantly doing community service. They're constantly educating. They're constantly checking on the safety of things, so on and so forth. That's that's really similar to what pastors do. Um, and again, those things don't even touch the emotional component that is involved with um, with being a pastor. Unlike in every pretty much every other thing in in a secular society, there's a like a clinical distance that is not only um, expected but even demanded where we are not to be involved. You know, we're not to bear each other's burdens. Um, we're not to cry when people cry. We're supposed to be uh, stoic in the way that we deal with things. But as pastors, it's, it's quite the opposite. We're supposed to cry when people cry. We're supposed to be happy when people are happy. Um, from, you know, I, and I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told this story here, but um, from my perspective, a couple years ago, on New Year's Eve, we were going around the circle, uh, a circle, and we we're talking about you know the different things that people have experienced, you know. And my my circle is about twenty people or so, and and very tight knit, and so we're going around talking about the things that people have experienced and sort of informing people what it was like to be there. And it just became really apparent to me that I was there at every single thing. Whether it was, you know, whether it was a birth, whether it was a like a trial, whether it was uh, a death, um, no matter what somebody said, I was there at every single event. Whether I was an active participant or whether I was just um, in the room with them, and nobody else experiences th life that way, um, you know. Uh, we're that's why at ABF we use the term custodians uh, because right. they're the, sort of the unsung background person, always cleaning up messes, making sure that things are maintained, um, you know, keeping the grounds, um, the silent eyes and ears of, of the institution, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a twenty four seven twenty four seven job. It's, it's very yeah, it requires me, sober so, sober mindedness. So let me just let me just uh, um, close this thought mm -hmm. with the idea that if you're if you're listening carefully to what Pastor Josh is saying and understanding the scope of it, then that's that is philosophically the reason why we have set up our uh, pastoral care in such a way that we do. Uh, with our uh, with our program to bring elders uh, into a position of service 
and authority within the church because you can't bring somebody um, from the outside like a seminary and expect them to be able to minister to the needs of the body and understand the body. Uh, you, there's at least a two or three year um, period where they're just going to be figuring out uh, who their congregation is and how to minister to them. And yeah, for... we, we philosophically disagree with that, and we believe that Scripture clearly teaches that leadership is to be brought up within the body so that they might be able to effectually know who the body is and minister there to them. Yeah, for those who don't know what Pastor Monty's talking about, we're talking about here at ABF, we have something called the Eldership Academy, and it essentially raises elders out of the body. You know, it, it um, sort of taps into the um, it taps into the the culture of the church and gives uh, young men who might have actually and women too, um, not into custodial leadership, but into other options. But um, it it you know it taps young people um, sort of on the shoulder and says, hey. We notice that you have leadership in 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 your uh, future. Um, come come learn from us how to do that um, instead of sending people off to seminary. Because the truth is, what Pastor Monty saying is true. It's like seminary has its place. It it creates um, you know academic knowledge, but go look at the apostles. You know, with the exception of Paul. They didn't really have academic. I know Paul is not considered like one of the twelve, but with the exception of Paul, they didn't have academic knowledge. What they had was discipleship with with our with our master, and any believer can have that. So you know, especially since you know they didn't they had the gift of Christ for three years. We have the gift of the Scripture, and you know which gives us the gift of Christ and a whole bunch of other things. So. Um, I think that there needs to be there. If somebody goes to seminary, they do. They need to. It's almost like they have to go to school again to understand who that that body is that they're that they're doing right by. So for us, that yeah. process is seven years. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and and you know it's replicable. I just I just want to say that like. I think that that's it's an admirable goal to try to raise leaders up out of the body. I think that that's, I think that's first century believership right there. Um, there's nothing in scripture about academia, um, and um, even the qualifications for elders. There's no qualifications of like they have to pass this test or go through this board of review. It's all about their character as witnessed in a family, um, and so I think you know you you can take those things and, and you can build those things. And um, in your local church, that's that's where those things need to come from. And who better to um, take care of the community than somebody who's a part of the community? Absolutely. Okay, so let's take a look at this next passage in uh, First Thessalonians. Uh, again, remember the Apostle Paul is just kind of uh, summing things up. And so obviously he's addressing, remember when you read the letters of Paul. What you're looking at is the 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 re <laughs> the reason he's writing these letters is because he has a purpose. In other words, uh, he has heard through the grapevine or messenger or somebody has related to him, or the church itself may have said, "Hey, we're having issues." Right. And so when he addresses things, he's addressing them from the standpoint of here's my here's my input on that mm -hmm. so here he's talking about you know he's summing things up he's saying dear brothers and sisters give honor to those who work amongst you and and put them in a position of respect uh, then he jumps to the next thing here and he says uh, uh, brothers and sisters we urge you to warn those who are lazy Encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, be patient with everybody. Uh, see that nobody pays back evil for evil, 
but always try to do good to each other and to everyone. Always be joyful. Keep on praying no matter what happens. Always be thankful, for this is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So a couple things here, you know, an admonition. Evidently, there were some people uh, in the body there that weren't pulling their own weight. And so he reminds them they need to be spoken to and encouraged that they're not to be lazy. Yeah, I think, that I think that's the case in everybody, right? It's the 80-20 rule that... 80-20 I mean, rule, right. But yeah. may, maybe some of it is you know, off depending on the body. Maybe it's not 80-20, maybe it's 90-10. But the point being is you know, laziness is part of the human condition. Even our brains are yeah. predicated on, on what you might call laziness. Yeah, so he's basically saying, you know, encourage everybody that they need to participate, and, and particularly in the case of the body, where the body is functioning as a unit, if you don't have people pulling their weight, then that's a problem. Yeah. And so he's like, you know, he's encouraging, he's encouraging those that are timid. Uh, uh, the the reverse of, of timidity is, is boldness. I think we had that we had that discussion last week or two weeks ago. We were talking about yeah. boldness and timidity. Absolutely. So he's just encouraging them. You know, encourage those that are timid. They shouldn't be timid. Uh, those that are weak. You know, those that are. Uh, and I'm 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 pretty clear. I'm pretty sure here contextually that he's not talking about uh, those uh, scrawny little guys that can't lift weights. Right. He's not talking about that. Right. <laughs> he's t he's talking about uh, he's talking about fortitude, about spiritual fortitude, about you know being able to to uh, be strengthened in that. I think, I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the Greek of it to be sure about that interpretation. But um, just the presence of the word tender in there, um, I think, is something that people forget about. You know, when we when there's a call to be, and I think the two obviously they belong next to each other contextually. Encourage those who are timid, take take tender care of those who are weak. Um, they contextually belong next to each other, and I think that there is, you know, there's a push to say, hey, you need to be bold. Um, but then that push can go so far as to exasperate people. Um, right, right. And uh, you know, and oftentimes those who are timid are timid because they're weak. They they're not mutually exclusive terms, um, and 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 he couples that Josh uh, by ending that sentence with "be patient with one another." Exactly, exactly, um, and patient. The again, we go back to that that word in the Greek macrothemia. Um, patient means right, long suffering. long suffering, and I think that that's really a really important thing. If you've ever been a parent or or been in a parenting position. You should understand that um, if you're going to be patient with your child, it's going to cost you something. <laughs> oftentimes your sleep, uh, oftentimes your your sound. Hey, if you ever want to get back at, if you ever want to get back at a parent or really sort of, you know, like maybe you have a friend who has a kid and you just really want to jab at them, get their child a toy that makes noise. <laughs> like, well, uh, uh, of course, the next verse here, Josh is. Do not, uh, do not uh, pay back people for evil. no, I know, I know. But but the, the the point the point I'm making is patience. Patience comes in many forms. There's a lot of suffering. Oh yeah, <laughs> that yes. th that is involved with that. Um, but uh, in terms of taking care of people, like it is, there there requires an equilibrium involved. You know, there requires you to sort of tweak every aspect of it to make sure that it's coming through correctly. So you can't just be bold, turn up the base of something, um, and let it overpower. So it, it's it's got to be all of these things combined. But yeah, you were saying pay back evil for evil. Well, yeah, just, you know, the admonition is is that, you know, to pay back uh, uh, evil, to, 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 to do that to a brother or sister or anybody else uh, is out of character. Out of God's character. Yeah, out of God's character, which we are supposed to emulate right. as those who have been set apart under the blood of Christ. Right, right. So th that should really not be uh, our first go-to. You well, know, in secular society, that is. Yeah. 
Definitely. Dog eat dog. Wrong, you want to pay them back. That's yeah, it's revenge. It's a dog eat dog world. Actually, I'm watching, I'm going through the Count of Monte Cristo right now. I'm watching oh, yeah. the oh, yeah. the Jim Caviezel Count of Monte Cristo with uh, with my daughter and my son right now, and it's kind of like halfway through the movie, and my daughter is very very bothered right now that Edmond Montes, he uh, who's the main character, he's like all about revenge. You know, he yeah. just, he really wants to take revenge because I've been trying to instill that on her. You know, I came out the other day from the bathroom to find my daughter with her foot on my son's back because he did something like, you know, oh, well. she's like eight <laughs> and he's four. So he did something to make her angry and now she's got him on the ground and oh, she's, boy. you know, taking her revenge on him. And so, like, I'm I'm talking to her about how that's not OK. And then we're watching this movie and halfway through the movie where we had to stop it. She's like, you know, angry with him because he's taking revenge. Um, but. But yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I think the second half of that verse is the important part. Obviously, God's character is that you know, you don't pay back evil for evil. God is a God of grace as much as he is a God of judgment. That being said, it's also not a um morally neutral stance that you take on somebody's welfare. In other words, right. I'm not going to do bad to them, but I will walk away when bad is happening to them. Um it says always try to do good to each other. Right. And I think that that's that's some people will be like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, you know, take my revenge, but I will, um, you know. I'll stand. I'll I'll stand off to the side and clap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'll stand off to the side and clap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, then let's let's end our uh, we. We're almost uh, to the end of the chapter here, but but time-wise, we need to end this. Uh, let's end it on a positive note that he encourages them that they are to be thankful. Right. Um... Always be joyful. Keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is a, a huge topic that we could really explore from the standpoint that, um, you know, when we recognize God's sovereignty and we recognize the Lord working in our lives, we are to be thankful for all that we deal with because God's hand is in it to bless us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us become the people that he's called us to. Yeah, I think... I think that these things are directly correlated to each other and specifically joy is um, is a character trait that is defined by the action of prayer and thanks. Um, you know, joy is one of the fruit fruit of the spirit. And I think like when yes. you have joy, it comes from you acting in prayer with an intent to be thankful. Um, yeah. I think that a lot of people don't understand that. They really do not understand prayer. Uh, they think of prayer as auto-suggestive. They think of prayer as that's we can unpack that later. <laughs> but uh, they think they think of prayer as um, you know something that is sort of an idol in their life, uh, where it's like if I pray, if I just pray, if I just pray, you know, then then things will go my way and I'll you know be calm and you know almost like it's a mantra. Um, yeah. But no, like you said, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's there's more to it. You have to be thankful. And I think being thankful, we do not just thank God in bounty. You know, we thank God in times of, of hunger, too. Well, what we, what we might do here, Josh, which sounds like a good thing, what we might do here is we might leave it at that for this section. Okay. And then when we come back in two weeks, um, pick it up right there. Okay. And develop that just a little bit more uh, as we end chapter, as we end First Thessalonians. Okay. Yeah, so that'll be uh, episode 17 of right. season three. And I'll just, I'll make a note about that. So let's do just a really quick what's up with that and then uh, go right into uh, the issue of submission. So um, I'm, I'm doing some reading. I'm, actually, I do a lot of reading, um, more than I would like to, but uh, 
who I am and what I do requires that I do. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm observing uh, what's happening in our uh, cultural landscape, and one of the things uh, that fascinates me is to remember what um, Francis Schaeffer talked about in his prophetic book, How Then Shall We Live? And then I take a look at what's happening in our landscape today um, with the COVID and with the issue of uh, the constitutionality of stay-at-home orders and with uh, those people that have put, been put into uh, power uh, in order to arbitrate. So as I stated before, you know, our, our country is set up according to uh, the laws of the land, which are, which are uh, done in, in different ways. So the legislatures make the law, the governors up to the president administrate the law, and when there's a difference between the understanding of what the law actually says or implies, the judicial branch takes in. So with that foundation, what I'm observing is this, is um, Francis Schaeffer talks about in his book uh, and in the movie series, uh, How Then Shall We Live? Um, he talks about the fact that, that as society progresses, uh, our laws, particularly in the United States, will become arbitrary. Right. And, and that, that arbitrary nature of the judicial branch uh, will be governed by the philosophical understandings of those who uh, are put into those power, uh, positions, which oftentimes several of the, these positions are lifetime positions. Sure. So when you get into the Supreme Courts of, uh, of states, or you get into uh, the Supreme Court and or appellate type uh, positions uh, in the federal uh, systems, they are also lifetime positions. Now, so that's the foundation. So here's what I'm observing. And of course, you just have to look at that and say, what's up with that? Although I know that it's, it's there and it's coming. But um, there have been several legal challenges to the overextension of these stay-at-home orders and how it is that they are being arbitrarily done throughout the country. And so you have several, for example, churches, uh, people in churches being arrested or being uh, given citations, or you have uh, people that try to open their business and uh, they're either put in jail and or the, the, uh, the power of the state acts against them in order to intimidate them. Um, and so uh, my reading is interesting because as you look at various states, you can go across and you can look at those that have a conservative philosophy within their, uh, within their society and those that are liberal and see the arbitrary nature of how these things are applied. We have several courts that have ruled in favor of the citizenry and say, yes, these governors have, uh, have uh, overreached their authority and are not allowed to make laws and are not to arrest people and tell people that they can't attend church services, etc. Yeah, literally, literally hand, just happened in Oregon yesterday. Well, on, on the other hand... But it has been happening in other states, too. Yes, yes. And, and what, what prompted my, my thought about this is, on the other hand, you have uh, uh, the bastions of the Democratic Party, which is the state of Oregon, and the Oregon Supreme Court agreed with the governor and agreed with her actions of uh, arbitrarily... Uh, uh, well, in one case, a salon owner in Salem uh, was fined $14,000 for not obeying the stay-at-home order, and and uh, and they even uh, they even uh, I'll say sick, but you know how you tell a dog to sick somebody. They even uh, they even sicked the uh, uh, 
the Home Services Department on this woman questioning her ability to to uh, be a mother to her children and threatening to take her children away from her. Interesting. Um, so, it, so I guess what I'm saying is, is that you know, um, constitutionally, we uh, there are several protections under the First Amendment, under the Second Amendment, under the Fourth Amendment that that protect how we deal with certain things. These type of issues uh, happen to be under the Fourth Amendment. But the thing is, is that the way it's being carried out across the country uh, is becoming more and more of an arbitrary situation. Okay. And so, uh, just just to know, be clear, you're you're worried about the governor taking into account, or governors in general, or or really any any wing of government uh, using this time to um, sort of pocket their power and take arbitrary control over the over the country. Well, I'm not worried about it, but I definitely see that that's what's happening. Like martial law? No, don't think it's getting to that point yet. Long ways from there. Okay. <laughs> but, but 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 when you when when you have for it, it's what's going to happen, Josh, is simply this: is when you have people who go beyond their authority. For example, you have a a governor who is a against guns. For example. Yeah. And they say we're going to take everybody's guns. Right, 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 right. I understand. I was the martial law. Gonna, I understand that we're going, not near martial law. It's the same. It's the same concept. Is when you have yeah, people. But my point is, we're getting there. I, I'm glad you're on board with that now. Yeah. No. My point is, we're getting there, and I guarantee you that uh, our society will turn ugly very quick. Because, uh, because if somebody comes knocking on my door and telling me they're going to take my gun, it's like, no, you're not. Um, have you? Maybe you don't remember this. You you probably should. Do you remember a movie with Bruce Willis and Denzel Washington? That's a great cast right there. That's a good two hours guaranteed. But um, I just, I just watched it. What on what service did you watch it? Uh, the Siege. It's well, called The Siege. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the platform that I watched it on, but I just watched it. Man. Where basically, that's exactly what happened. I know. Is, uh, I know. Bruce Willis came in and... and don't, uh, don't, spo don't spoil too much of it. Don't spoil too much. I don't remember it. I watched it in the, you know, the late 90s. But don't spoil okay. too much of it because I want to watch it again. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly, it was like... Exactly. It was like the government came in and took authority over this over a town or something like that because there was supposedly a terrorist threat or some something I don't know, but it's yeah, like it was a, it's, yes, you're correct. It yeah, was but it was a whole. It, it's it's like a whole you know question of you know can people do this and you know it, you look at that stuff and it seems the stuff of movies, but. It, no, it can happen in an instant. It really yeah, can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that just to say, so let's go into uh, let's go in let's finish up our time together with uh, cultural lunacy and talk about finish up this issue of submission. So we've been talking about the last several weeks what scripture has to say about the issue of submission. And I guess I just want to start off by, uh, I, I'm not going to summarize everything we've talked about because it's been several weeks, but I, but I'm, what I'm going to start out with is just reminding people that when we're talking about, uh, from a biblical standpoint, when we're talking about submission, we're not talking about um, submitting to the person. We're talking about understanding the submission structure in which the Lord is set up from Scripture. And normally when I do marital counseling, what I refer to is I refer to an understanding for those who have been in the military. When you are in the military, you're not recognizing the position of the, you're not recognizing the person in a particular position. You're recognizing the fact that they hold 
that position and they are in that role. You know, I tried that once. Uh, I was marriage counseling um, two people who have both been in the military. And oh, okay. I, I tried that once because uh, I haven't been in the military. Both my father and my brother were in the military. Um, and uh, I tried to explain this to them through military um, analogies. And right. they were both very dismissive of it. Yeah, you didn't you didn't uh, find that. <laughs> well, maybe were, you didn't have uh, maybe you didn't uh, come from an authoritative position. I do not ever say anything unless it's from an authoritative position. So, <laughs> no, I mean, meaning that you didn't have the they the authority didn't recognize uh, any validity to your non military experience. Right. Right. Um, the, the, the point, but now that you, now you can speak on, you can speak on it and you can justify that. I did know what I was talking about. Go for it. Oh, you absolutely know what you're talking about. Listen, the long and short of it is, uh, when I was enlisted and I would drive on to the base, the guards on the base would look at my sticker that allowed me to come onto the base and they would wave me through. They would just wave me through like, you know, come on through. You know, right. But if I was driving a, a, a friend's car who was an officer, yeah, they would they wouldn't wave me through. They would pop to attention and salute me as I drove through. That's funny. Um, they weren't saluting me. Right. They were saluting the position, the sticker that was on there, saying that this is an officer's vehicle. Hmm. So, so the same way it works the same way with the concept of submission. And yes, Josh, you were right on target. The issue is, is that it's not the person, it's the role that is being played within mm -hmm. God's design. Right. So what, so what happens is with the issue of submission between a, a husband and a wife is that the role, uh, the, the husband has a role to play just as the wife has a role to play. Mm -hmm. And in God's design, in order for there to be harmony within that relationship, then that role has to be seen through. So, so wives, you are not submitting to your husbands because your husband de uh, deserves, as an individual, their character or who they are deserves your submission. Yeah. They may not. Yeah, conversely, they may not. They may be the complete opposite of it. Yeah, they may not. They may have issues. Uh, you know, when you uh, remember that when you court, <laughs> when when you court somebody, um, oftentimes they don't show their gray hairs. So, for those people who live in this day and age, what do you mean by court? <laughs> um, court courtship is that period where you're. Uh, you're looking at specifically marrying an individual and focused on, on doing that. Right. And, and so an old style and so uh, an old style way of looking at that. So for example, in my family, we didn't promote dating. My children didn't date. Well, I didn't date. Well, Monty didn't either really. <laughs> I like the asterisks of really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, really. Um, the, the, we, your, your, my wife and I promoted the concept of courtship. Yes. That if you're going to, if you're going to uh, begin to interact with the uh, with the opposite gender, that you need to do so with the concept that this person you've prayed about it, this person you believe is God's. Uh, uh, design for you, and you uh, proceed on that end. So, but that being said, when people are courting, normally they have their best foot forward. And then when you get married, you find out they maybe weren't they weren't uh, truthful in who they actually were. Yep, that is that is so, true. I I for the record teach the opposite of that. Um, not that you shouldn't court, but that when you court, you put your worst foot forward. Oh, do you? Yeah. I do. I my the way that I view it is you scare that person away because what you're talking about 
is is a marriage relationship I, that is supposed to mirror the infiniteness of God. And so, yeah, you know, nice. that that person needs to know what they're getting into, so you try to scare them away. <laughs> and I <laughs> that's what I did with my wife. I said, "Look, here I am, you know, and that way she can't turn around later and be like, "I didn't know this about you." It's like Yeah, nice. You know, clearly nice God well, loves you more I'm than just, me because you're getting me. Yeah, I'm just saying, Josh, that uh, to our audience out there. That, or me more than you because I'm getting you. Uh, whatever. You and I probably represent an anomaly. Well, I, you know, I don't know about that, but it's definitely an older way of looking at it. Older or not, it's biblical. We don't come from a, the Bible doesn't promote a hookup culture and it doesn't promote relationship based on sex. Um, it promotes sex. It is, it is sex positive, but it promotes sex as the consummation of, um, of a covenantal relationship. So, you know, it, it makes sense that you don't base your relationship on your quote unquote sexual compatibility. Um, but you, you base your relationship on, um, on whether a person can make you better before God um, and and the other point I'll just mention because it's it's huge in our society is that you don't base your sexuality on anything except for whether it you know can benefit your relationship with God. So you know you you need to let you need to let that be the measure of compatibility, not your sexuality, but the the benefit that you can bring to each other before God. And then you need to. Um, essentially tell your sexuality to conform. And I know that that sounds really weird um, to people because of the way that we deify sexuality in this culture, but we do it with everything. Like, yeah, like, no, if, like if, if I have bad habits, like um, smoking or whatever, I tell that I need to tell that to conform to the things that are healthy for me. Otherwise I'm going to die of lung cancer. Or if I have bad habits, like I want to eat fries all the time, like I conform that, you know, my my hunger in eating fries, which I do have, which is a real hunger, and I conform that um, and and alter it based upon what I know is good for me. So I'll make a different choice oh, and, for a and, side. And worse when you exaggerate that by 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 uh, putting uh, lots of cheese and bacon bits and yeah. Chili gravy, or if you go to yeah. the Waffle House and you slop, dop, chop, and mop it. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. So before we yeah. digress too far, the point is is that uh, submission is a biblical concept, and it has to do with the roles that God has set up. So there's a couple passages that really talk about this, and we're just going to put them out there for you so that you know what you're dealing with. In First Peter chapter two. Um, verse 21, it talks about, uh, you know, that we have an example uh, of how it is that we are to uh, live one another. It says, for you have been called to this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example to follow his footsteps. We are to understand the nature of how it is that we sometimes have to live with one another in uh, and suffer in the process of doing so. Later, in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that uh, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word of behavior uh, of their wives. So this is kind of an encouragement to those that have husbands that are not... Uh, submissive to the Lord and are having issues. Which, quite frankly, is the majority of husbands, at least in America, it seems. Right, and and, and normally, normally, although we don't have time to digress... Hard to find a good man out there. Because I, yeah, uh, I, because I promised we'd try to get through this today. But normally what we're talking about here is we're talking about the fact that, remember, that we've been emphasizing God has a chain of command. Right. And he has an order set up as to how he does things. And he has his so wives, reasons for that order. That's correct. So wives, here's a revelation to you. If you want your husband, I know uh, this This goes back to what we've talked about in Genesis uh, chapter 3, and that, that women really have a tendency to, to 
tell their husbands what to do because they think they know better than their husbands and etc etc but here's the deal if you want your husband to change and to grow in the Lord he's not going to do it because you nag him or tell him what he needs to do because as men we don't like our wives telling us what to do well we don't it's, like anyone telling us what to do yeah it's a it's a, it's an affront to our manhood quite frankly well there's a deep so there's a deep I, I, interplay philosophically i don't know whether it's been ingrained in us you know um somehow you know some sort of like social subconscious fear or something but there's a deep interplay between men and women because of the fall you know yeah man, like no, exactly. man feels like woman screwed him over and not in the good way and woman yeah. feels like man screwed her over and not in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so what i'm saying is women if you want your husband if you feel that your husband needs to get on track with something particularly spiritual things you don't need to be telling him what to do or nagging what you need to do is you need to pray for him and be submissive to him and put him in that role that he has as a leader and and hold him accountable to that unless unless, unless he's unless he's openly uh, defying your uh, your your lord and this is a consistent truth that doesn't just apply to women it applies to men as well in what is above them so you know and it applies to children too as well in what is above them in terms of rank and structure god has an economy he has an order so for instance in what romans 13 or 12 we're told to obey the government for instance Correct. We're told to obey the government and that that responsibility falls on men as the federal head of their family. They're supposed to submit to the federal head, like the king or the president or whatever, um, or the law of the land as the government until it defies our Lord Christ. So yeah. when it does that, then we have a responsibility to, to follow – God beyond that, but otherwise, or even on top of that, regardless, we still have a responsibility to pray for, to, to, um, to, I don't know, uh, respect and respond to, to, um, to the rank and position that, that God has bestowed upon these people, whether it's, you know, our husbands, our fathers, our, our, our mothers, if you're a child, for instance, um, all of all of those things we're supposed to respond in a proper way, and we see that, for instance, with David, where um, I can pull it up, but David refuses to to um, sort of underhandedly kill uh, King Saul in his sleep because he right, views right, King right. Saul as the king that God appointed, and even though King Saul is hunting him down to kill him, when David gets the chance to kill King Saul, he doesn't do it. Because right. he believes that that is his king, regardless right. of how he's being treated. And, you know, David is a man after God's heart. So, yeah, submission yeah, structure. These are, these are concepts which are pretty deep, and they, they can have a more involved discussion. But here's the practical aspects of how this works. And we see this passage, this passage in First Peter. We see a passage in Ephesians where the, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this same structure. Uh, scripture, and there's two or three others, Scripture is very clear that this is God's pattern. So here's the practical way that it works uh, as we close out today. Look, you know, when my wife and I talk about um, things that need to happen, where, where she's at, her concerns, um, I freely let her talk about whatever that issue is. So give me your input. What do you think? What what are the options here? And we talk that through, but but uh, and we don't always agree. You know, sometimes we agree to disagree on a position, but she doesn't say to me ever, you know, if you don't do it my way, uh, there are going to be issues. What she says to me is, uh, I've told you what my thoughts are. I've told you what my feelings are. Um, now I'm going to give you the responsibility that is yours 
and you make the decision, and I will uh, I will uh, commit, you know, to uh, lift you up in that decision a hundred percent. And then she goes, <laughs> and and then she goes, and I'm praying for you, mm-hmm. because because so that so my decision now is weighted by her input. It's weighted by the fact that I'm not trying to, I'm not doing something uh, from a standpoint of, I'm going to show you. Sure. No, I'm very careful to understand that I'm responsible for the decisions that I make for our family unit, and I need to come before God and pray for wisdom as to how I proceed, because my wife and my children and even my uh, my uh, uh, Halika boy, my dog, is going to be affected. And and that's that's how it works uh, from a scriptural standpoint. She gets out of my way, and she lets God be the one to convict me and to be responsible. I, who I'm responsible to. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think people. I think people oftentimes don't understand because we have very much a consumeristic mentality of resources. Um, They don't really understand the roles involved and why they are what they are. So basically we, we sort of come from an idea in our society that whenever there's a resource, we consume it and we, we are at the top of the food chain. Um, because because of our ability to consume it, right? Right. So right. basically, if we can kill something, then that makes us better than it, and then we're we're the best. You know, it's it's that Darwinian um, survival of the fittest sort of concept. But the truth is, is that as we have consumed and even extinguished the resources that we have, whether it's you know the physical world we live in, um, uh, to um, to like the animals, for instance, what we've learned is that actually all of these things are part of a very careful ecostructure. And when you yes. when you consume these things to the point of exasperation or extinction, it actually disrupts everything. And yeah. the reason that you're at the top of the food chain isn't necessarily because you can um, because you can extinguish something, but it's more because you serve a function to be a part of that food chain you know it's part of your rank as opposed to your um uh it's part of your rank as opposed to your strength or your ontological nature and i think a lot of men will pay attention to their rank and they'll say that the um they'll say that oh, oh you know a woman needs to respect the rank and they don't need to respect the man they need to respect the rank. And I think that there is truth to that. But what they fail to understand is that a man needs to respect the rank of a woman as well. A, Absolutely. Wo- a woman's responsibility is to provide that sort of insight, that sort of guidance. That and when you are when you're telling when you're telling your wife that she just needs to fall in line and be quiet. Sort of that children, sort of that that thing that we, you know, said to children in the 1950s, like they need to be seen but not heard. Um, right. That's you not respecting what your wife's role, position, rank, all of those things in the ecostructure of family. That's you not respecting that. And when you do that, you are actually responsible for destroying the the entire fabric of your marriage um, and the family unit, which is why you know you can trace everything bad back to, to men. It's always at the top of the food chain um, because when, when the food chain tries to extinguish, it doesn't respect yeah, why, remember, where, they're, where they're at. Remember from a discussion standpoint, we talked about the differences between men and women. Remember that men just think with, we just think with one side of our brain. Women think with both sides. They got all kinds of things going on. At a time, my, yeah. My, At a time. Sometimes it's scary. My wife will say to me, we're driving down the road, and my wife will say to me, you know, I've been thinking. I'm like, oh, no. What? <laughs> 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 now, 
Now what are we got going on? Well, and it's it's one of the hardest things for a man. It's very easy for a man to demand respect and hide behind rank. But it's another for a man to thank God for the fact that he has a wife who is willing to stand up to him when she when she has a conviction about something. And I don't mean stand yeah. up as in fall out of rank. All of these things should be a pre um pre-assumed um thing that the system relies on that no matter what decision you make she'll stand beside you you know like that you know but but she she will be damned if she doesn't tell you that she thinks you're making a bad decision yeah and with boldness <laughs> yes so absolutely so anyway that's that's our take and of course there are lots of side issues we could go on to but that's our basic take on submission and understanding that it is God's design, understanding how it works. And I guess what I would say is, if you want to hear more, uh, if you want uh, Josh and I to to uh, develop more of, of what this is, um, we can do that, but we want to hear from you. Otherwise, what we're going to do is we're going to move on in our discussion of marriage. We're going to move on to uh, what specifically Scripture says in regard to the role of man. Now, we've hinted at it, uh, but we're going to develop it just a little bit further as we continue our discussion. Can you give us and, a little... Uh, we should go ahead, can we you... should go ahead and close out today. All right. We'll close out today. Um, yeah, be... Uh, uh, don't be afraid to be vocal with us and let us know what you're interested in, yeah. in hearing about. If you are... Absolutely. If you are someone who is seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ of the Bible, we want to help you. So check out the help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to questions. So uh, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church, local, and at large. And if you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing here, you can join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, uh, our kids' shows like Wake Up Cadre and The Bible of Pastor Adam, our weekly sermons, and of course Nightlight Radio, which airs this Thursday night. Uh, you know, from 9 p.m. to 11, we're always talking about interesting things there, and you can um, send a anonymous um, topic request, and we'll talk about it. And like I said, we always talk about interesting things, everything from um, nightmares to sexual assaults to, um, I think the last week we talked about um, friends with benefits. Um, all sorts of things. So if you want a Christian perspective on those things and some live interaction, uh, feel free to do that. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab. Even a $1 a month uh, donation would be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Remember that content is shared on Tuesdays for the time being at 11 a.m., we will see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF. And this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. <laughs>